You're listening to a Fair Mormon production. Welcome to Fair Mormon's front page news review, where we provide context and analysis of the past week's media coverage of Mormons and the LDS Church. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me via the internet is manager of the Fair Mormon front page news service, Cassandra Hedelius. Hello. We hope this will be an edifying and entertaining experience. What we present is not to be understood as being the official position of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We speak for ourselves and sometimes not even then. So, Cassandra, let's get to the first set of news, the news that seemed to dominate even Facebook. It trended on Facebook, which is not always the case with Mormon news. That is, of course, (laughs) with our brother, John DeLynn, who is experiencing or going to be experiencing a church disciplinary council. So for those that don't know who he is or why this story is so relevant, could you please fill us in? All right. So you mentioned him as our brother. And if we do have any non-Mormon mem- or non-Mormons listening to our podcast, um, that's awesome. Um, we refer to each other as brother and sister in the church. And so John Dolan is a member of the church, and we love it when people stay members of the church, and we would refer to him as Brother Dolan. Um, He has, for about 10 years now, been running a podcast and a website that has had quite the tumultuous journey. Um, At times, it has been a forum um, just for exploring different facets of church history and theology, um, interviewing experts in different areas of Mormon history, theology, philosophy, what have you. Um, But within the past few years, it's taken a turn where um, Brother Dillon um, seems to have worsening feelings toward the church. He doesn't um, hold himself out as a believer anymore. And so now it has come to pass that his church leaders have said he needs to stand for a council, a disciplinary council, that could lead to an excommunication. Um, That's a procedure that um, is common across a lot of churches. It can happen to Catholics or Protestants or some others. Um, It would mean that he was still welcome in church meetings, but he would not be considered a member. He wouldn't be able to participate in temple rituals. And um, it's a very sad thing, a very grievous thing to a Mormon community and congregation when that has to happen. Um, As to why that has to happen or if it has to happen, that's kind of the whole debate that's churning around here. Well, and one of the things that kind of gives the, or at least displays that, are the titles of some of these news stories. And they, in my opinion, I think they kind of tend to add to the confusion. Like this one that was sent out this week with the Fair Mormon front page uh, news service said, Faced with more and more press, the Mormon church is once again walling itself off. Basically making it sound like the church is reacting to criticisms by kind of circling the wagons and cutting people off that don't agree. Then there's another one that says the coming crackdown on Mormon liberals. Uh, the, the assumption being that John DeLynn holds uh, certain liberal things, liberal ideologies, such as uh, same-sex marriage, uh, amongst one of the things that he kind of he claims is the reasons that he is being uh, singled out. Or is right. that not the right word? Is singled out not the right word in this case? Well, 
no, what is the right word? He is, he's, he's probably not the only Mormon in the world who is facing possible excommunication at this time, but he's definitely the most prominent one. Well, the most vocal one. The most vocal one. Um, his case is getting coverage in the major media, although that was triggered by his own action in reaching out to the New York Times. So I guess we can't really say um, that he considers it a bad thing to be singled out for the coverage, at least. Um, he has cultivated the media coverage. He's released the documents, um, the letters to him from his um, ecclesiastical leaders pertaining to this coming council. And so th it's a very interesting case study, I guess you could call it, in how the media and dissenting members of a religion interact with each other. Because at least in the pieces that are more opinion pieces, like the one that you quoted the headlines from Slate and from the Daily Beast, they are definitely taking the point of view that the Mormon church needs to progress, to adopt these forward-thinking ideas and grow up and come into modernity already. And that's definitely their point of view that they're defending. Um, the straight news stories are they they're definitely not taking a point of view in that manner but they do give a voice space to Dillon and some of his his contemporaries and defenders to make their case that this is this coming disciplinary action is as a result of his advocacy for same-sex marriage or other positions but that's where the terminology really gets to be a problem here when it talks about a coming crackdown on liberal Mormons. Well, what is exactly a liberal Mormon? Right. Is it a Mormon who is politically liberal? Is it a Mormon who is theologically liberal? I guess meaning more open to change and reinterpretation as opposed to a theological conservative. It's a loaded term, especially in secular terms, exactly. because you don't know what that means. Yeah, and I actually saw a discussion um, among a group of Mormon liberals who, they, they call themselves that and devote, and, and they made it in the sense of having politically liberal opinions, and they're a, a little nettled by this. They don't want to be roped into the same category as someone who has said, you know, arguably very hurtful things about their religion, which they do believe in and do take seriously. Um, they don't want to be called one of him. They don't want to be grouped in with someone like Dylan, who is politically liberal, but also so theologically liberal that he is arguably right on his way out of the church, even without the excommunication action. I do wish that the press would be more careful in choosing their terms here. And there are just so many landmines here for feelings to be hurt, for people to be confused. Um, I mean, what does this mean for someone else who is a, a member of the church who is gay? Um, what are they to make of this that, well, is John DeLynn being excommunicated because he's advocating for me? Well, I would say, no, that's not the case. It's more because of DeLynn's theological positions and his public statements on those, and not just for his advocacy. You know, who, who can know? <laughs> we, we don't know the whole story. We only know what um, has been released to the media, and now everybody's talking about it. So I, I just fervently hope that this doesn't lead to other people feeling like the, the signals that the church is against them. Typically, with a church council like this, 
they don't make this a very public thing. In fact, it's very private. Oh, the church yeah. protects the privacy of the individual very strongly. In this particular case, John Delenn, being a very vocal and PR-oriented person, has made it kind of his M.O. to put this stuff forward, to make sure that everybody sees everything. And so private letters from his stake president have been made public and things like that. With that being said, the real reasons that John DeLynn is going up for excommunication have actually been outlined in that. And if there is any attachment to the narrative that John himself has forwarded that this is because of his advocacy for same-sex marriage, that is only about 20% true. Uh, There are quite a few other things that were in the uh, letter and things that people can look up should they choose to. But the reality is, is the narrative that John has put forward and the one, frankly, that most of the media has picked up on is frankly incomplete. And it doesn't tell the entire story. So that really hopefully will put some context and analysis on what was going on there. It's it's not something that is applauded. It is not something that people should look forward to. But at the same time, it's something that's happening. It's right in front of us. Right. And I think that there's a lot in our culture that kind of viscerally is negative toward an action like an excommunication. It's just so harsh. It's so judgmental. Come on, mellow out, man. Um, And what what I hope that people can try to understand, at least, is that when you have an organization like a church that is based on the concept of the revealed will of God through church leaders and a shared community of faith and communion, that there are some actions that... I, it's it's the person himself who can remove himself from that community, can break faith with the community. And in those cases, a church is well within its rights and even arguably has a duty to, one, protect other members who uh, might be subject to being persuaded to also break faith with the community and to to protect the integrity of the church because sometimes individuals make public statements with the authority of I am a member in good standing of the Mormon church and that can really be a problem when they're saying things that is very much opposed to what the church actually what positions the church actually holds right so I I hope that people can try and see things sympathetically from the church's point of view, even though it goes against the grain of how a lot of people in our culture like to think about these things right now. Well, there are definitely multiple perspectives on this same same instance. And unfortunately, this is all very public. I I honestly think the biggest tragedy here is that, that this isn't a private matter between John DeLynn and his priesthood leaders. Uh, But here it is. It's in the public. It's in the news. So we're talking about it. It is his prerogative. If he wants to make it public, I suppose he can do that. Um, But then it, it just, it becomes part of the story, what he has done, how he has cultivated this media exposure, how he has um, tried to control the narrative around it. Um, there's a piece by Nathaniel Gibbons in Real Clear Religion that um, points out he didn't release all of the documents from his stake president 
um, when he first put out his press release to the media. Was that a mistake? Was it a, an attempt to control the narrative better because the missing document um, wasn't favorable to the story he was trying to tell? Um, nobody knows, but it all becomes part of this discussion, which is just unfortunate. There are so many other things that we would much rather talk about and leave this to be between him and his leaders and pray for them all and hope that they can all come to a good outcome. Yeah, it's stories like this that make me glad I'm not a bishop. Oh, good heavens, yes. That that would just be a, a really rough go. But anyway, kind of a follow-up story, our next story, is uh, attached to last week's front page episode, and that is this discussion of marriages between what they call mixed sexual orientation individuals. Um, mm-hmm. There was a study that was put out in an article in the World Religion News that uh, was had to have been done, I would say, in correlation with the release of this TV show from TLC. But there were certain studies, or at least the study was to find out that when a person that identifies as gay marries a straight person or someone that identifies as being heterosexual, uh, what are the divorce rates? Uh And so the study found some interesting things. What did you find the most interesting about this article? If there is something interesting, I'm assuming there's something interesting. (laughs) There's a lot interesting. Um, What I find most interesting is the comparison that they didn't make. It seems odd to me that they set up for the main comparison, a marriage in which there is a straight woman and a gay man who are both committed for religious or philosophical reasons to being in this mixed orientation marriage. So that marriage on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, a regular straight woman, straight man marriage. And it found that the mixed orientation marriage is much, much more likely to end in divorce. Now, what do you mean by much more likely? Um, it says two to three times more likely. Okay. That's, that is much. <laughs> and what confuses me and what I find interesting is I think that the more relevant comparison, um, if we really want to understand things here, is on the one hand, you should compare the couple, the mixed orientation couple in a straight marriage. And on the other hand, um, to gay individuals in a gay marriage. I I really wonder why that comparison wasn't really brought up. Um, I haven't read the actual study. Maybe it does go into that, but all of the articles that I've seen don't talk about that at all. So the headline becomes, if you are gay and you want to be in a straight marriage for religious reasons, you're in trouble. Because compared to a normal straight marriage, you are much more likely to fail. But if I were that gay individual, I would think it would be very relevant to me to know, well, how am I likely to to fare in a same-sex marriage? And the answer, based on research that I've seen, is also not that great. There are very high rates of divorce in same-sex relationships. So that is what I found interesting. How about you? I... I'm not going to claim to be any type of statistician or, or anything with these types of, of surveys, but I was able to, I, I was kind of privy to this survey when it first came out because I follow North Star LDS and I saw that they were soliciting people to participate in the survey. As with any survey, one of the limitations is based on 
who responded. Yes. And because you can't exactly, I, I don't know, there's no real registration service, right? When you get your marriage license, you don't check a box that says, I'm gay, but I'm marrying a woman. I mean, <laughs> so, so you don't really know who no. to go to and who to follow up with. And so I, I find that this is probably one of those instances where there's kind of a skewed sample, partially because, and I think the last paragraph of this article speaks to it as well. It says that the couples who are quote unquote doing just fine remain silent. So we don't know their numbers and we don't know how their numbers compared to the failed mixed orientation messages. That's a, that's a quote from them. So I think even they're aware of the fact, whether they reluctantly want to admit this or not amongst the statistics, or at least amongst the people that reported, these are the statistics that they're getting, but they really don't have any kind of scientific way to measure the actual population of people that consider themselves in a mixed orientation marriage. So when they say that it's, you know, 70% of gay Mormons do this or that, I mean, really, how can you possibly say that that's 70% of what? This doesn't surprise me, nor do I think it's really a relevant commentary on those who try to live what they believe is their gospel standards and their choice. I think that these people have as much of a fighting chance in their marriage as any other and that these statistics are skewed at best. Well, it may be true, but we just plain don't know. And especially since this population is so small, I think the number of gay individuals in the church and with outside the church, but even in the church where it would um, probably come up as an option be more likely to come up as an option. There just aren't a lot of people who do it um, because it's a very difficult option for a lot of people. And so when you're dealing with such a very small population and then so trying to get statistically significant conclusions out of a small population, that's hard, first of all. And then second of all, as you mentioned, to recruit people. um, I believe that the recruiting for this study I'm trying to get people who would qualify for this study was done in groups and venues that... um, It's filled with disaffected people. Yes, that included people who are more likely to not be very keen on the church's teachings on marriage. And that included probably people who uh, maybe tried a mixed orientation marriage and failed and became disaffected in part because of that failure. And so what we're really learning here is this is, wow, a textbook example of the problems of social science research being reported by the media. We do have that last paragraph that hedges a little bit and says, you know, we we don't know what the couples who are doing just fine are saying. And here's some of the limitations of this study based on how the sampling was done. But how many readers get down to that part? They see the headline. The headlines in the first paragraph is what makes it into people's brains. And so now all of a sudden everybody knows that mixed orientation marriages are doomed. And that is just a very frustrating feature of of how studies like this are reported on. I think that we have beaten this issue to death. So, especially because of (laughs) last week's, let's move on um, and we'll deal with something a little less loaded, hopefully. Uh, Tell us about this. uh, Oh, well, anytime you call someone a tea partier, it's going to be a little loaded. 
<laughs> but, well, it's uh, the Washington Times. They're a more conservative publication, so, so I think we can they can get away with saying it without malice. Um, <laughs> but it's talking about um, a representative, a congressman from Arizona, Matt Salmon, who is a member of the church. And he has been assigned, um, I guess they're, now's the time that they're parceling out the assignments to the new Congress um, to lead a House panel on Asia. And the only reason why this caught my notice is, is because it brings up that he's Mormon. And why would it do that? Well, because he's leading this panel on Asia because he was a Mormon missionary in Taiwan and learned to speak Chinese. Well, Mandarin. Which is a dialect of Chinese. <laughs> I just know a few interpreters that are very particular about that. Oh, okay, okay. My apologies, interpreters. Yes. Um, and so just as a great example of Mormonism for once not making the headline, it's in the article, it's relevant, it's great for um, a wider audience to learn more about how you know, Mormons go on missions. They go to faraway places that are nowhere near um, Utah or Idaho, and they learn these skills that they then take with them through the rest of their careers and now can be, you know, I, I hope and assume that Representative Salmon will be a very effective liaison um, with his counterparts in Taiwan and elsewhere, and just bring to pass great things as a result of his service. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, that the last uh, ambassador to China that we had was John Huntsman, right? Mm -hmm. And he was, before he ran for president, I should say, that uh, part of his being put in that position was a very similar reason. Yes, yes, very much so, so, because of his service in, I think it was Taiwan. Yeah. As a missionary. So all missionaries that go to China or Taiwan can now expect to be in high government political positions because oh of goodness. their Mormon service. Poor souls. Go into hiding now. <laughs> oh, anyway. Well, those uh, those are the essentially the top stories from this last week. We want to make you aware of two other things that have happened this last week with Fair Mormon. And one of them is the upcoming podcast awards. And this is one of those things that we try and be a part of every year, and that is where we look to be voted in for the, I believe it's the religion and inspiration category. But we have, uh, as a as an organization, Fair Mormon has won it for three or four years, not in a row, but uh, three or four years in the last decade. And so we do actually fare pretty well. So the voting for that is now open. We will put a link and instructions on how to vote for the Mormon Faircast, which is the umbrella under which all of our podcasts are sent out. And one of the reasons why you should vote for us is a podcast that was released this last week by Steve Densley called Keeping the Faith. It was episode number 14. It was an interview with Rich Millar, and it was actually uh, very well covered in the news this last week from the Deseret News. There was a, an article about him and his life, and I think it was like 18 lessons that he learned as he left the church and then came back to the church. And it's actually, it's two hours, which is an intense two hours. It's very worth your time because there's, it's an incredible journey to hear all that he went through and the perspectives that he's gained as a result. So I think just listening to those, that episode, you'll just say, gosh, I need to vote 
for the Mormon Faircast in the <laughs> Podcast Awards. It's that good. So anyway, thank you for joining us again. That's this week's front page news review service. We want to put in a plug. Cassandra, if you could do that really quick, put in a plug for what you do. What is the Fair Mormon front page news service and how do people take advantage of it? Fair Mormon front page is your indispensable link to any coverage of Mormons in the news. It will be delivered right to your inbox for free every day. All you have to do is go sign up at fairmormon.org. Excellent. And we will talk to you next week. All righty. Thanks, Nick. This has been a Fair Moment production.